Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. So we, if we go through just a quick summary of what we've done in the last couple of sermons, we have this diagram that has been used in theology for a very long time, different versions of it, but this is the one that I like. We see here there's three summary statements when we're speaking about the Trinity. And the first summary statement is that God is three persons. The Bible speaks about three persons being God. And then the second summary statement that is that each of those three persons the Bible calls God, fully God. And then thirdly, the third summary statement is that there's one God. So the Trinity is built from these three summary statements. Three persons are God. Each of those three persons is fully God, but there's one God. So we see diversity and we see unity in the Trinity. Uh, the Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. And the Holy Spirit is not the Son. But each of those persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is, is, is God. And that's, that's a mystery beyond our minds. We have to acknowledge that that's something way too big for us to understand. But we can enjoy it, can't we? And one of the reasons we've pointed out we can enjoy this doctrine so much is because the whole Trinity of God, every person of the Trinity, is involved in your and my salvation. So without the Father, there's no plan of salvation, there's no creation, there's no plan of this entire created order. Without the Son, there's no accomplishment of redemption, and there's actually no accomplishment of creation, because remember, it's the Son who's credited with creation. And without the Holy Spirit, there's nobody to apply the accomplishments of Christ to the individual, such as you and I. Then we've got no salvation. So I'm totally grateful, I'm so grateful for so many things. We could keep going and speaking about one of the, all of the wonders of the Trinity. But just in summary, that's where we've landed. In the next slide we notice that there's three different functions in the Trinity. As I've mentioned, the Father plans, the Son accomplishes, and the Holy Spirit applies. So we've briefly gone over in our sermon something of the work, uh, of the, the whole overview of the Trinity. And we've seen inside of the Trinity that even though there's three persons, there's one God. But that means that there's relationships between the three persons of the Trinity and they function in different ways. They equal, but they function in different ways. And the members of the Trinity don't have a problem with functioning in those different ways. The Son is completely content to, to be in a function that is subordinate to the Father. And he doesn't say, well, I deserve a greater function because I'm equal to the Father. He says, no, yes, I'm equal to the Father, but I will function in, in a subordinate capacity to the Father. And that's amazing. And that, remember, is something that you and I can do in our relationships, in marriage for a start. 
uh, a man and his wife are equal, but a wife functions in subjection to her husband, and the husband must go to the responsibility of being a loving leader in his home. We function in different roles, even though we are equal before God. And then, of course, when we had a look at the father, the father's planning, we saw that the father chooses to use a set amount of time, and he chooses to use a set amount of resources, and he does the absolute best he can with that time and those resources that he has chosen to use. And here we are, as finite beings, we have a set amount of time, we have a set amount of resources, and the challenge for us is, if we want to grow and honor God in our lives, is to say, God, how can I best use the time and the resources that you've given me to make the most of this life that you've given? Instead of sitting around and saying, I don't have this, or I don't have that, I don't have time, I don't have resources, Say, well, I do have some ordinary resources. I do have some time. Let me see how I can make the most of these time, this time and these resources. Then we had a look at the sun last week. Christmas. And we really enjoyed that. And what a wonder it is to see the sun coming into this world and accomplishing. He chooses to do the will of His Father and to come into this world. God becoming flesh. God becoming man and living among us and living those ordinary days, day after day after day, as you and as me. And for us, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can say, yes, this is a messed up day, and I feel that God is not pleased with me, but that would be a lie, because Christ has already lived this day as me, and God is pleased with Christ. So if you cannot destroy the work of Christ, what Christ has already done, you cannot destroy God's pleasure in me as a believer. So it's a huge encouragement for you and I going into this, into this year that lies ahead to look up. You remember, again and again, I've been saying, look up. You know, stop looking at your own condition and being bound and immobilized by the fact that I'm weak and I'm failing and I'm, I'm not moving forward the way I should. Look up and see what Christ has done for you. Live with joy. Live with freedom. Live with hope. Because the battle has already been won. Remember, Christ has conquered all of your enemies for you. And today we begin to have a look at the Spirit of God. What a wonderful moment this is as we begin to consider something of the work of the Holy Spirit. And of course the Holy Spirit is one of those persons of the Trinity that brings about so much mystery today. Nobody really knows what the Holy Spirit does. If you ask any person what the Holy Spirit does, people will be like, hey, he's powerful. And knows powerful, he does powerful things. And uh, maybe somebody will be able to say he gives gifts to God's people so that they can function in the church. But beyond that, it's difficult for people to actually say, well, these are the, this is the function. These are the things that the Holy Spirit does. If you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit, of course, we do our, we're doing our ABTC, our Systematic Theology, this coming year. You know, the whole year. And one of the topics we will address is the Holy Spirit. And we will talk way more about the Holy Spirit. So if you're interested in learning more, just join our class for 2024. So let's begin with the work of the Holy Spirit. And of course, I can't say everything today. It's just I'm just going to say a few things about the Holy Spirit. But the first thing we want to point out is that the Holy Spirit works in conjunction with the Father's plan and with the Son throughout the Old Testament. So you remember in Genesis 1 verse 2, the Holy Spirit is present uh, over this formless and void earth. In the beginning, now the earth, uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And verse 2 says, 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So as, as the Father plans and the Father speaks, He speaks the, the creative word. And remember in John chapter 1, we see it's the Son who is the word. And He's the agent of creation. He does the work. And He's accompanied by the Spirit of God in this creative work. So in the Old Testament, we see the Son functioning in creation. In the Old Testament, we also see the Spirit, I mean, the, the Spirit of God functioning as an agent of creation. In the, in the Old Testament, we also see the Spirit functioning in providence. So, for example, in Psalm 104, one of my favorite psalms in the Bible, one of those nature psalms, Psalm 104 says, When you send your Spirit, speaking of God, when God sends His Spirit, they, the animals, or this whole life that Psalm 104 is speaking about, they are created. When you renew the face, uh, when, and you renew the face of the earth. Job 33 verse 4 says, The Spirit of the Lord has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Some theologians have said that if you wanted to name the Holy Spirit according to His function in the Bible, you would call Him the life giver. He's the one who gives life. And you see this in nature, definitely. We see the Holy Spirit giving life, feeding the animals, engaged in providence on a daily basis. And I think it's wonderful when you, when you just picture these animals, for example, a, a cow walking along there and, and the father saying, I want to feed this animal. And the agent who's putting food in the mouth of that cow is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one who manages the whole on the ground. He manages the whole of providence, ensures that this entire world carries on the way it should. In the Old Testament also, we see the Holy Spirit working with God's people. Right throughout, we do. Um, there's just too many functions he has here, but um, he sets them apart. He rescues them. He guides them, and he gives them saving faith. You remember Romans four, for example, is one of those texts in the New Testament that speaks about Abraham. He was fully convinced that God had the power to do what he had promised to do. God promised Abraham. And Abraham, for a very long time, he lives his life without seeing any fruit. But throughout all of those years, he says, I believe it. I believe it. I believe that God has the power to do what he has promised to do. So Abraham's faith doesn't rest on the, on the power of his faith. Abraham's faith, you know, the power of his faith is in the fact that God is going to do what God promised to do. That's where the power is. It's the power of God to do what God has promised to do. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It gives a guy like Abraham the ability through these long dry seasons to just keep believing and believing and believing. God said it, it will happen. God said it, it will happen. His wife comes to him and tells him, hey, try and make another plan. And he's uh, foolishly, Abraham falls into that trap. You know, Hagar the servant and Ishmael the, the son. And God still makes good on his promise through Isaac and give, um, through his wife Sarah and gives him a son Isaac. So God did actually do what he promised Abraham he would do. We think also in the Old Testament of how the Holy Spirit raised up judges and empowered those judges to rule God's people Israel. Judges 3 verse 9 are just at random. But when they, Israel, cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, the son of um, Othniel, the son of Kenaz. Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. Verse 10 says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Spirit of God empowering judges. You see how active the Holy Spirit is throughout the Old, Old, 
the whole Old Testament causing the plan of God to become a reality. He raises up judges, priests and kings. And then he also reveals God's truth through the prophets. And this is one of the big things that we cannot overlook. Um, it's, it makes me smile when, when people tell me that um, God told them this or that. And I think to myself, well, you know what God told me? He, he told me, he, he, the Spirit of God actually sat down and wrote a book. Over 1,000, I've been writing for a few years I can't imagine the Holy Spirit sitting down and writing for 1,400 years through 40 different authors, most of whom never knew each other. And when you read that book, it just seems like it's one author that wrote that book, the whole Bible, right from beginning to end. You know, the, the evidence of one mind, they call it. And isn't that amazing? Throughout the whole Bible, the one mind, the person writing the book, is the Holy Spirit. In, in 2 Peter 1 verse 21, we read, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So throughout the Old Testament, throughout the prophets, every person who spoke for God in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is driving that person to write words that are the words of God. It's the Spirit of God who is writing the Word of God. We have a whole book today written by the Holy Spirit. And how grateful we are that the Holy Spirit doesn't actually need to come and speak to each one of us individually. Because he wrote a book. Why would he come and speak to me if he wrote a book? Here's the manual. Here's the manual. Here's the manual. Pick it up and read it. And I find that wonderful. If you're reading the Bible, you're hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying. It's his book. That's what John MacArthur says. He says the Holy Spirit wrote a book. And the wonderful thing about this book is that this book centers on Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit never attracts attention to Himself. He empowers, He accomplishes the work of God. But the Holy Spirit's whole focus is on the person of Christ Himself. So if you're a believer and you have a particular passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, if you find Jesus beautiful, you can say, Thank God that the Holy Spirit is at work in my heart. You want to feel the power of the Holy Spirit? Study Christ in the Holy Spirit's book. And the Holy Spirit will help you to understand who Christ is and stir your heart up in worship. If you find thoughts of worship, you find these, this longing for Christ in your heart, it's the Holy Spirit that's working in you. So in our church and, and in all evangelical churches, yes, we worship the Holy Spirit as God. But the Holy Spirit is saying, look at Christ, look at Christ. Every time you look at the Holy Spirit, He says, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. Jesus is the God-man. He's the one that the Holy Spirit turns your eyes onto. So that's the first thing. We see the Holy Spirit fully involved throughout the whole Old Testament. And what a wonder that He managed the whole of Old Testament history. He wrote a book. He raised up authorities in the Old Testament to cause the nation of Israel to survive through unbelievable odds. But then secondly... We notice that the Holy Spirit serves the Son. As the Son accomplishes redemption. We saw last week how the Son comes into this world and He accomplishes the plan of God. He purchases my soul for God. And not only does He purchase my soul for God with His blood, but He also does away with my debt of sin and guilt before God. And He also, on top of that, lives a whole life of relationship, beautiful relationship with the Father. And He gives that to me. So I can stand before the Father and the Father can treat me as if I'd lived the perfect life. 
And what a wonder. And it's the Holy Spirit who helps Christ to do that as he lives his life. You notice in uh, Luke 1 verse 35, uh, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Remember the angel answered, this is Gabriel speaking to Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The work of the Spirit enables that conception of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly, just trying to just put a few details in here. Jesus, the Holy Spirit anoints Jesus for his ministry and he anoints him for his atoning death. If we look at Acts chapter 10 verse 38, uh, Peter is speaking about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went, to, went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Isn't it amazing that the Spirit of God is empowering Jesus throughout his life as he functions, as he lives, as me. The Spirit of God is enabling him, of course he's God, but as a man, as the God-man, the Holy Spirit is enabling him in the same way that the Holy Spirit enables you and I in this world. And as the Lord Jesus Christ faces the cross, cross in Hebrews 9, verse 14, the writer to the Hebrews says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? Christ offers himself through the eternal Spirit. What an amazing and mysterious reality this is. The God-man in this world, functioning inside of the full human experience and depending, making himself dependent upon the Holy Spirit in the same way that you and I are dependent on the Holy Spirit in our lives. He doesn't use his powers, the Son doesn't use his powers as God to make his life easier than your or my life is, is in this world. He, he subjects himself to the full human experience just as like your experience and my experience and he depends on the spirit of god to empower him through this amazing feat and for that we've got to look at the holy spirit and say thank you thank you holy spirit for empowering my savior to accomplish my salvation something we can be really grateful for so then the third thing we can look at with the holy spirit is that the holy spirit applies christ's accomplishments to god's people and that's the accomplishments that we were looking at last week, the amazing accomplishments of Christ. We see the very beginning of this work in the Holy Spirit's work of redemption, I mean, in His work of regeneration. So, this is also a whole area that is surrounded by mystery, often in, in Christian churches. Uh, when I ask somebody, often, you know, how you were saved, you know, how you came to know Christ as your Savior, um, they, more often than not, people begin with the experience of coming to Christ from their own perspective. You know, they don't come from God's perspective and understand the great array of things. God has been planning this since the before the beginning of time. You know, they're all like, yeah, my life was a mess and I decided, you know, to, you know, to let God into my life. <laughs> yeah, I decided, I have decided to follow Jesus, kind of, you know, I gave my life to Jesus. And, you know, I mean, that's not wrong. From, you know, from one way of seeing it. But honestly, if you understand the Bible's teaching on the depravity of man, 
that man, according to Ephesians 2, is dead in sin and trespasses, and he is absolutely helpless to do anything, until one thing happens. The Spirit of God comes with life, and He infuses life into an individual. And that person comes to life as Lazarus did from his grave in John chapter 11. And that person begins to see God, the reality of God, the reality of God's kingdom. And he comes to realize, hey, something is different. I feel convicted of sin for the first time. I desire Jesus for the first time. I desire to read the word of God for the first time. I desire to be with God's people for the first time. What's happening to me? You know, from that perspective, if you ask somebody, they'll say, I don't know, man, I just, something happened, and I, I just decided it was time for me to follow Jesus. And that's because the Holy Spirit has already done His work of coming to that enemy of God and infusing spiritual life into that person and waking him up, as it were. The, the work of salvation is already done by the time a person begins to desire Christ. And I've got to say, thank you, God. For sending the Holy Spirit to apply this work of Christ to my heart. While I was dead, while I was an enemy of God, the Spirit of God came and gave me life. In John chapter 3 verse 5 to 8, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, remember? And he says to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. And of course, by water he means, you know, normal birth. He'll confirm that in the next verse. Verse 6 says, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Verse 7 says, You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus is saying, like the wind blows, you can't see the actual wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. And when the Spirit of God comes to an individual and gives them spiritual life, like the leaves blowing in the wind, suddenly you see something happen in that person. They begin to change. It's as if they have, the lights of the universe have come on for them for the first time. They say, wow, I can see God in a different way now. Isn't it wonderful that the Spirit of God regenerates in that way? Titus 3 verse 5 says, He saved us, that's God, not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. How did He do it? He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. How did God save? He renews that person. He gives them new life through the Spirit. It's an act of God, a, a sovereign act of God that God comes to you in your darkness. And He applies the work of Christ to you. And you become aware of it after the Spirit has already begun this whole glorious process. I've got to say thank you, God, for rescuing your enemies in this way. Then the second thing that the Holy Spirit does as he applies the accomplishments of Christ is that he sends the Holy Spirit to his people. Once he regenerates, he sends his Holy Spirit as the parakletos to indwell, to live inside of his people, to comfort them, to care for them, to counsel them, to drive them. Does this sound familiar? You've got the Lord Jesus Christ living in this world as a man, fully man, the full human experience, and depending upon the Holy Spirit to keep him moving through this world to live a life that honors God. And now God, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he, as he ascends into glory, he sends the Holy Spirit, he sends the Comforter, 
He sends the Parakletos, he sends the counselor to his people to live inside of his people as he lived inside of the Lord Jesus Christ as a man. And we can depend on the Holy Spirit as Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit in his earthly life. It's absolutely amazing what the Lord Jesus Christ subjected himself to as he become as God becomes man. And in some way, in some small way, we get to experience something of what the Lord Jesus Christ experienced. Being ordinary people, being empowered by the Spirit of God to honor God with our lives. And that's wonderful, the symmetry, you know, how all of this stuff fits together is beautiful, isn't it? Gives us hope. Gives us hope if the Lord Jesus Christ honors God in such a way. Surely, if I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit, there's a sense in which I can honor God in a similar way. Obviously, I'm not God. But the same principle, I have access to the same person, the Holy Spirit, to guide me and drive me and motivate me. So he empowers his people. John 14, 16, you remember, Jesus says to his disciples, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. And it's interesting in the, in the grammar in this text, you know, he, John uses... The Greek in John's Gospel is, is beautiful. It's one of the most simple uh, letters to study in the New Testament. If you study in Greek, you know, he, he does it for ordinary guys like me, you know. So when you read it, it's not complicated. It's not complicated Greek. So one of, the, one of the interesting features of this text is that when he says he's going to send another counselor, the Greek has the ability to tell you whether it is another of a different kind or another of the same kind. And that's interesting because if, if the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God, He's God of very God, and He's going to send another counselor, He's going to send another of the same kind. I'm going to send you somebody like me of the same kind as me, God, <laughs> you know, the God-man, He's going to send the Spirit who's also God. To reside in God's people and to counsel them and encourage them and empower them and give them joy and hope. I think that's wonderful. God residing in his own people in that way. In 1 Corinthians 3.16 we read, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? No. You know, we hear this again and again. But what if you were looking in the mirror for example, just one day you're looking in the mirror, maybe you're looking at a pimple or something. And suddenly, God allows you to see Himself residing in you. Imagine you could actually see God residing inside of you. Imagine He was visible when you looked in the mirror. You look in your eye or something and you see God looking back at you. You know, He resides in you. Imagine what a change it would make to your life if you suddenly realized that this was honestly true. God lives in me. God lives in me. I mean, can we get over these words? How easily do we forget it? I mean, how easily do all of us forget? How many of us thought of this this week? That God is actually, where is God? He's residing inside of me. And He's residing inside of me for a purpose. He's residing inside of me to drive me on day after day to accomplish God's purpose for my life so that God will be on it when my life is over. I mean, that's too big. We want to appeal, you know, to human authorities to help us. But isn't it remarkable that God lives in me and empowers me? In Romans 15, 16, he says, you know, God called him 
to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's moving, he's working, he's sanctifying. Him. In 2 Timothy 1, we read, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, God the good deposit that was entrusted to you, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. The Holy Spirit is living inside of Timothy. Timothy is a custodian of the gospel. He must keep preaching the gospel his whole life, not being afraid of opposition. And how is he going to ever accomplish that with so many enemies around him? These, all of the Jews who are trying to take him down. He's going to do it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in him. Is Timothy ever going to fail? Is it possible for Timothy to fail in that task? Absolutely not. How is God going to fail? How's God going to fail to defend the gospel in this man? Eh? Are you ever going to fail in your quest that God has given you in this world? Absolutely not. It is God who lives in you. It is God who is driving you toward God's purpose. It is God who is going to honor himself by taking a weakling such as me or you. And he's going to accomplish his purpose against all odds in this world. And you're going to stand before God and God is going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And you're going to say, how can this even be? I mean, I'm such a weakling, I couldn't do it. And you say, well, that's, you know, that's because you were so weak that God, the Holy Spirit, actually had to reside in you and take steps with you and live with you and help you to think and do pretty much do everything for you while you were living in this world. That's how you succeed. And that means if the Spirit of God is living in you, you cannot possibly fail to accomplish God's purpose. That's, that's massively encouraging. As we look into a new year, isn't it? If we look at another work that the Holy Spirit does, He helps us to understand the Word of God, the Bible. In Ephesians 1 verse 17 and 18, he says, Paul says to the Ephesians, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. That's what I was saying just now. If you look at the Word of God, you love the Word of God, you see Jesus in the Word of God, and you love Jesus, you can say, thank you God for the Holy Spirit. Thanks for sending the Spirit, because I wouldn't be able to see this. It wouldn't move me apart from the work of the Spirit. Another work the Spirit does is He assures us of God's presence and love, and He fills us with hope and joy. Some of these wonderful verses in the Bible, Romans 5, uh, verse 5, you know, from verse 3, that whole section, he says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. How do we rejoice in our sufferings? You know, it's just a fact. He's not encouraging you to rejoice in your sufferings. He's saying, it is a fact that if you're a believer, you do rejoice in your sufferings. Why? Because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. And then in verse 5, he says, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by His Holy Spirit whom He has given us. God's pouring out love into our hearts the whole time. So we, can, we have this relationship with God where His Spirit resides in us and He's constantly confirming, one, that God loves us. I'm the child of God forever and ever. And secondly, He's pouring out His love inside of us so that we can be people who love those around us. As we're suffering, we don't kick and bite the people around us. We pour out love on the people around us. We respond in a loving way. 1 Thessalonians 1, um, 6 there. 
he says, you became to the Thessalonians this amazing church. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. You've got people in Thessalonica who are suffering. And Paul calls it severe suffering. And in spite of that severe suffering, one thing that they're finding joy in is the glorious gospel of God. This is wonderful. I have a father who planned this entire universe. I have the son of God who came in and accomplished the father's purpose for me. I have, this, I have the Spirit of God who actually resides in me and is driving me day after day through these sufferings and enabling me to stand. And what reason could I have to be discouraged? Absolutely amazing that these Thessalonians, they had the, the wonderful knowledge of the gospel of God and they knew that God was driving them to His, his desired purpose. As he's driving you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus to his purposes in, this, in the year to come. This little guy standing on the rock here is about to step forward again. Huh? And go through the rest of this crazy scene before him. Because there's glory there. And the Spirit of God is helping him. I did make a whole lot of other pictures. And some of them you know, had a little bit more or that you know, of different aspects that would help to make this message more clear. But I'm hoping this picture sticks in your mind you know, as you step into the new year tonight. As the clock strikes midnight, that's you. And you're stepping forward into the unknown. But the triune God has already assured that you are absolutely going to succeed. No matter what happens in this world, you're going to succeed in God's purpose. Also, the Holy Spirit makes you holy, as I've already said. But the Holy Spirit also intercedes for His people from inside. You know, one of the texts that we look at here... There is such an encouragement um, is Romans 8 verse 26 and 27. I think about these two verses a lot. Where Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So our weakness is acknowledged. Paul acknowledges that we're weaklings. And God looks at me praying and he says, there's a weakling praying. And he looks at us in our weakness and he says, we do not know what we ought to pray for. I'm so weak that I can get on my knees and I don't even know what to say to God. Even if I'm suffering, I don't even know what to ask God. I'm like a little baby babbling for something. And the Spirit of God who's residing in me, who's fully aware of my whole situation because God has planned it and He's there for that purpose to help me in that moment. The Spirit of God who is residing in me and as I'm bowing to pray, the Spirit of God is bowing inside of me to pray to the Father. And as I start saying some nonsense things, I don't even know what to say to God. Little baby prayers. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. The Spirit of God is in effect. He's interceding. He's saying, Father, what Alan is trying to say is this. And the Spirit of God is praying to the Father, you know, God help this guy. He's such a weakling, he doesn't even know how to pray. Can't even pray. God help him. Help him just to stand up and walk. Help him to love the people around him. Help him to have this glorious vision of what lies ahead. The kingdom is coming. Glory is coming. When all of the, the misery and difficulty in this world is going to count for something. I'm going to stand before God. And even though God is the one who's done everything to bring me through, He's going to honor me for what I've done. 
I'm not going to earn rewards like we've said again and again, but we're going to be rewarded according to what we've done. I can't earn anything. But somehow God is going to bless me for the things that I've done. It's, it's unfathomable. Absolutely wonderful. This package is a package inside of which you cannot fail. So like Jesus in Gethsemane, as the Spirit of God is enabling him to go on and on and on in that misery, so God's people keep going. God's, keep, God's people keep standing. God's people keep honoring Him. So, there's this one thing I just want to try and elaborate on here. And that is, it's, it's very difficult in theology to be able to say something well, but then stop before you step over a line where you've taken something too far. You know that, eh? Like some people in some church circles have have thought so much about the fact that if you are in union with Christ, you know, if I'm hidden with Christ in God, if I'm hidden in God, some people have taken that to mean, well, that means I must be a God. You're like, hold on. We're so close to God that there's no other being in the universe that's closer to God, but you're not God and you're not a God. That's blasphemy. So this is one of those areas where it's possible to step over the line. But that's why I'm cautioning you not to step over the line here. But let's look at the sun walking in this world. He's the God-man. It is God becoming flesh and living here among us. And He's empowered by the Holy Spirit as a man as He goes through this world. But now we are human beings. We are the people that Christ came to save. We are living in this world. And the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to say this with the hugest of caution, He comes into human flesh. As the Son becomes man, the Holy Spirit comes in and He lives inside of human flesh. He lives in me. Spirit resides in me. And it's, it's remarkable when we look at the Son, God is willing to become a man. But isn't it remarkable that after that, the Spirit is willing to encapsulate Himself inside of me and inside of you as a believer... And as Jesus is restricted to that human body, his whole human life, it's a body that he looks with, with his eyes, he hears with you know, his five senses, he touches and he smells and he tastes and all of that. Everything that causes him pain, causes him pain. As he goes to death, he dies in full pain as a human being. He subjects himself to that experience. He doesn't separate himself from that body when it's convenient. He, he commits himself to the experience of that body. But now you've got the Spirit of God. As Jesus ascends to glory and He sends the Holy Spirit, He, says the, he sends the Counselor, the Holy Spirit says to the Father, Yes, I will reside in Alan. As the Son becomes man, the Spirit puts Himself inside of another human body as, the, as the God the Son puts Himself in a human body. I mean, that is a remarkable commitment. Let me ask you this one question. Do you know one other person in this world inside of whom you would subject yourself to live for life? Okay. Who, would, who would it be? I mean, that would be bizarre. If you had the opportunity, okay, I'm going to go live in Lungi for the rest of her life. 
I'm me, and I don't know. God choosing to subject Himself to living inside of me, seeing what I see every single day, hearing what I hear every single day, when my human body is tired, He's inside of me experiencing the tiredness. When I'm working with something and I'm hurting my hands or something, the Holy Spirit is residing inside of me, my experiences. He's fully aware. He's inside of me, inside of my experiences. Imagine the grace of God in committing Himself to that absolutely astounding reality. God living inside of me. Almost like I'm saying, this is, you cannot step, you know, I'm not incarnated. I'm not the Holy Spirit incarnated. But the Holy Spirit is living in flesh. It's a a careful boundary we can't cross. Don't take this too far. Because the Holy Spirit's living in me. It doesn't mean I'm God. I'm Alan. I'm a, a useless nobody. But the Spirit of God has chosen to live in me. For reasons beyond my imagination. So, what does that do? If the Holy Spirit is living me, it gives me confidence, doesn't it? Gives me massive, massive confidence as I live in this world. Paul says in Romans 8.11, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. You see God raising Jesus from the dead, a dead man coming to life. And it's that same power that that is residing inside of me as a believer. I can say, that is amazing, man. This is glorious. God is empowering me in such a way that as Christ could not fail, so I cannot fail. But then, of course, on the other side of that, Ephesians 4 verse 30, the caution on that side, is that yes, the Holy Spirit of God is living in you and He's going to empower you through everything. But also, there's the warning in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And inside of that text, Ephesians 4, the, very, the previous verse, it's in the context of people arguing with each other. You know, having relationships that are messed up and then going to sleep while you're still angry with somebody. And he's saying, don't give the devil a foothold in your life. You know, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. By continuing in, you know, the Spirit of God is living in you. Don't live in such a way that the Holy Spirit wouldn't live. So it's a caution. It's not only a comfort and encouragement to us that we are empowered by God Himself. You know, talk about these lithium-ion batteries. I'm empowered by God. He will never go flat. But at the same time, that means that I must be careful in in the way that I live. Let me honor God, the God who's chosen to live inside of me and to to see everything I see and do everything I do and be with me everywhere I, I be and sleep with me when I'm asleep. I'm sleeping. The Spirit of God is sleeping inside of me. He can't sleep, but He's there. He's subjected to place Himself there. The Holy Spirit, as one theologian has said, is always glorifying Christ. So how do I grieve the Holy Spirit? I fail to glorify Christ. I fail to put effort into becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. I fail to be gracious. I fail to honor God in the way that I eat and drink and do everything that I do. 
That grieves the Holy Spirit when God lives in you, but you're living an ungodlike life, an ungodly life. And God is not a hard taskmaster. He's, he's a gracious God. And He moves you according to His own framework. He's moving you day by day, little by little. He's overwhelming you with, by the grace of God so that you will long to honor Him. That's what the Spirit does. John 16, verse 8 to 11. John says, I'll just read the one verse there. When He comes, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. He does that inside of us, doesn't He? You know when you've said something to somebody and you think to yourself, Oh, I shouldn't have spoken like that. The Spirit of God is working in you, working with your conscience to convict you, to turn you around and eventually you do things that you never thought you would ever do. You go back to that person and say, Hey, I sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? I mean, that Sometimes you never think you'll ever do. I'm never going to go back to that person. But next time you find yourself there. <laughs> it's amazing what the Spirit of God does for you. Hey? And then... Another glorious reality is that the Holy Spirit, He unites all believers to Christ in, in a deposit that absolutely guarantees our inheritance. This word guarantee is quite a common word in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is guaranteeing the fact that you cannot possibly lose. You cannot possibly fail as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's purpose will be completed in you. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, that well-known text. He says, and you also, this is the Gentiles in contrast to the Jews, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal. What seal? The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our eternal inherit our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God is going to redeem His possession. And the Holy Spirit residing in me guarantees that. God, I'm never going to be lost. Ever. Because the Holy Spirit resides in me. And then the final point here is as we look at the Holy Spirit interceding, calling out to God and living in His people, living in human flesh and driving that, that weak human flesh toward a glorious goal is that we, His presence is the first fruits of our full redemption. In Romans 8.23, he says, Paul says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. If the Spirit of God has taken up residence in me by His own choice and He's driving me in this world, I will absolutely be a part of the full harvest that God reaps when we enter into his kingdom the glorious reality man maybe just a few words of application here before we finish and the first is as i've said the last couple of weeks you know if we have a god such as this absolutely we worship this god we worship the triune god god the father god the son god the holy spirit we look at the functions of each member of the Trinity and we say God's planning is glorious, absolutely spectacular, down to the last molecule. We look at the Son's accomplishment of God's plan and we say what a glorious person coming into this world and accomplishing creation and accomplishing redemption for me. And then as we look at the Spirit of God, we say what a glorious reality that the Spirit of God has taken all of this 
that the Father has planned and all of this that the Son has accomplished and He has applied it to me as an individual. And now there's absolutely no way in which I personally can be lost by the grace of God. So that's just too wonderful for me to say. We can worship God for that. When you're on your knees and you're praying and you don't know what to say and this prayer comes to mind, God, thank you that you are such a glorious God and that everything you are about has come to benefit me, this little weak dude as I'm on my, my knees praying to you. Thank you, God, that you are the glorious God. You've done all of this for me and I cannot possibly be lost. That's wonderful. The second thing is you can worship God, the Holy Spirit, for His complete commitment to applying what Christ accomplished for you. There is no other hope. You take away the triune God, not a single human being has any hope at all. Nothing. I mean, obviously, none of this would exist if you had no triune God. But if you take the triune God out of your thinking, you've got no hope. There's nobody who can plan your salvation. There's nobody who can accomplish your salvation. There's nobody who can apply your salvation. There's nobody. There's no hope. Ever. So we can say, thank you God for this one hope. That the Spirit of God is residing in me to empower me right to the finish line. What a glorious reality, man. The third thing we can do as we apply this is deliberately remember deliberately remember honestly man that god lives in you and motivates you how easy it is, is it to forget this i mean you could just look at yourself in the mirror and say you know look at yourself and say god lives inside of you <laughs> god is in you <laughs> you know just try and imagine that that's true for a moment i mean honestly it's true but how hard is it for us to believe that you feel weak and, and helpless and useless in this world but deliberately tell yourself remind yourself this is true. It's amazing. Like that one video I've told you about with the new tribe's mission, you know, when they went into, the, into this one particular tribe and the guys were preaching for about three years, preaching the gospel there, you know, going all the way from the beginning of the Bible, you know, through the, all the history and everything. And eventually they get to the gospel of Jesus Christ through the gospels. And the one old man, as he's listening to how the lamb dies for the people, and he hears that Jesus was the Lamb. And they couldn't believe that this glorious God-man throughout the Old Testament and into the Gospels and the New Testament who did all these miracles, such a wonderful man. He died as the Lamb for the people. And he couldn't believe it. And this one old man in these crowds in the village, he stands up and he starts shouting, Itao! You know, in their language it means, it is true! It's true! And he, you can just see the guy's face lighting up. He's like, this is amazing, man. The lamb died instead of me, so all my sins are gone. And that's what us as believers, we need to do. We need to say to ourselves, it's true. God is living me. I cannot ever be lost. I cannot ever fail. I will be rewarded for eternity because of the way I've lived. Not, as it, not because I've earned it, but because God has empowered me to do this. How can you remind yourself? I mean, just looking at yourself in a mirror might work. But you might want to memorize a text, a particular text of Scripture that really speaks about this. Maybe Romans 8.23 is a good text to remember. This one that I just read a moment ago. I mean, any text you want about the Spirit of God that reminds you that the Spirit of God is in you. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I'm longing for that, man. I'm longing to be completely transformed when I see Jesus. That thing that has not yet been made known to us. I can't wait to look in the mirror 
in glory and say, God, look what you've made out of me. It's amazing. <laughs> Such a loser can be so glorious. You know, that's the Spirit of God. He's working in us in that way. So thank God for that. Say, God, thank you that you reside in me, that you are empowering me. Right? If you do sticky notes, you know, write some sticky notes and stick them all over the place in your house. Uh, put them on the wallpaper of your phone. Put them on the fridge. Uh, put them on your bedroom door, bathroom door. Put them on the floor, on the ceiling where you're lying in bed. Just put sticky notes all over the place to remind yourself, hey, just, just remember this. God lives in me. This is a reality that should change the way I do everything every day in my life. Honestly, it should. And for me, personally, I feel a bit ashamed that I forget this so easily. My life is not what I think it is. Hey? How about sending yourself some reminders? I mean, the New Year's coming. Send yourself, go to your Google Calendar or whatever you use and set, set up a couple of repeating reminders like once a week or something. Or maybe for a whole month, every day for a month. Say, hey, remember, God lives in you. <laughs> think about it make this a part of your current reality God Almighty God the Spirit lives in me He resides in me and He is empowering me I cannot possibly fail how about um, making agreement with somebody else in the church and you get that person to remind you on a regular basis hey did you, did you remember Alan the Spirit of God lives in you God has God's taken up residence in you to change you and to cause your life to honor Him and maybe you could do that for somebody else. You can say to yourself, I think I'm going to remind Alan, you know, once a week, the Spirit of God lives in him so he can be encouraged. Just a couple of suggestions, hey? Ask somebody to remind you or you remind somebody else. Talk about it a lot. Talk about the implications. If God really did live in me, if I was standing here and I saw God over there and God came from there to here and it actually disappeared inside of me, People would look at me like, sure, you see what happened? God came into that person. And that's the reality, man. I, I wish I could communicate this more clearly, but I'm absolutely astounded by this. And I'm trusting that as you enter into, into this new year, this is something you're going to be determined to remind yourself of on a daily basis. Obviously, this is a comfort in failure. When you're struggling alone, you think, oh, Nobody can hear me. I'm all by myself. You know, that's it. I'm isolated in this world. Remember, the God of the universe is living in you. You are not alone. It's motivation when you're tempted to sin. You're not alone. God is here. When, you, you know, when you're doing stuff with your hands and your eyes and your ears and you know, your tongue and every, all your senses, God is right here. He's living inside of you, inside the body that you're doing this with. It's a good encouragement when we're tempted to sin. And then another application, like I said last week, is look up. Obviously, if God's living in me, I can look up. I have what it takes to get through this world by the power of Christ. The triune God, the whole God, the God of very God, is actually saving me. The Holy Spirit is competent to carry a loser like me through this world, through everything. In fact, I might add... That for me to lose hope in this world, with God residing inside of me, is an absolute insult to God. That, oh, I'm not going to make it. This is not going to happen. I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this day. What an insult to God when you think that this is not actually going to happen. Like, oh, 
looking at my own strength, you know, I'm tired. Like God is not going to carry me through. God is not going to honor himself in my salvation. And what a joke. <laughs> what a joke when we see how glorious this God is. It's an insult to God to act as if you are losing this battle because you are weak. When you see the Holy Spirit inside of us, we don't even know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit is praying for us. Of course I'm going to succeed. And then, there's a common struggle and there's a warning. And one of the things that I've, I've encountered so often is this sort of tension. In the church, we're going to find a lot of people who are, for lack of a better word, fake Christians. Hey? They come into the church, love the social environment. When you talk to them about assurance of salvation, they're always on top. It's like, oh, no, never. I've never doubted my salvation. But also, they've never really been significantly uh, convicted of sin. And I'm always nervous when, when I'm speaking to somebody like that who's, who's always hopeful and always joyful and always on top of the world. He never questions his salvation. He's never had doubts. But he's also never really been in the depths of conviction of sin. He doesn't know what it's like. To go through this dark valley like Psalm 23 speaks about, the valley of the shadow of death. He's never come to the point where he's thought to himself, I'm absolutely lost, there's no hope for me. Because that's where the Holy Spirit brings you in conviction of sin. So that's the first thing, that's the first um, caution. I'm, I'm just warning you that if you're a person who's never really doubted, if you've never really struggled with assurance of salvation, and you've never really been convicted of sin... You've got to say to yourself, is the Holy Spirit really living in me? Am I truly born again? You know, have I actually been saved? Have I experienced the transforming work of the Spirit? Have I actually seen Jesus as beautiful? Do I have hope that because God Himself is living me in me, I am actually going to see, doesn't matter what lies before me in this life, I am going to succeed and God is going to honor Himself with my life. Do you have that absolute confidence in God? If not... If that's not a part of your experience, those are the things that the Holy Spirit does. So I would, I would just stop and say, God, please help me to understand if I'm truly born again or not. Speak to somebody about that. And then other people on the other side are people who are truly born again. They do have the Spirit of God residing in them. But they're people who fret all the time about their sinfulness. They're always convicted of sin. Always struggling, always at the bottom of the barrel, always trying to see sunlight at the top of the, this deep hole that they're in. They can't just see a little spot and everything else is black. They have experienced the transforming work of the Spirit. And they do still struggle with sin. And they struggle with assurance of salvation and they lose heart. They often lose heart. And it can happen on a daily basis, up and down, up and down, up and down. Am I truly saved? Am I, am I lost? Am I an apostate? And two possibilities exist for a person like this. Obviously it's true that maybe a person like that is, has never been born again. But the other possibility is that this is a person who's been born again, but has never really developed the disciplines of living a godly life. You know, always struggling and hoping that when he comes to the point of temptation again, he's going to have the power to resist this time by some magic power. But no, the Christian life is a Christian life of self-discipline and self-control that is developed over a period of time, like riding a bicycle. 
You don't just get onto a bicycle the first time and ride it. And the Christian life is like that. It's a, it's a long struggle. And the Holy Spirit empowers you through that. So in my experience, a lot of people who struggle like that, who are always down, up, down, up, down, they may be truly saved because the work of the Spirit does that. But it may be that they've just never gone through a process of learning self-discipline and becoming like Romans 5 teaches, you know, suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. If you have no hope, you've got to look at that chain and find out if you've actually been along that journey. If you've never learned discipline to put your own sins to death one by one, ask for help. It's a war. You need somebody to work with you through this. Deal with it. It's massively rewarding when you put one sin to death and then you start on the next one. Hey? So in conclusion, I'll say, let's deeply appreciate the magnificent roles of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit in our faith and in our lives. The Father's plan, the Son's sacrifice and the Holy Spirit's guidance are not distant concepts, but vibrant realities that shape our existence. Remember, as temples of the Holy Spirit, we carry God's presence in every moment. Let this truth comfort and guide us, especially in times of loneliness and temptation. Embrace practical methods to keep this awareness alive, like a memorized verse, a daily reminder, a note. And let them be anchors in your spiritual journey. In our struggle with sin and doubts about our faith, let's recognize the Holy Spirit's transformative work within us. A sure sign of God's active presence. As we part today, let's live confidently, uplifted by the knowledge that the triune God is intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. May this assurance inspire us to live faithfully, uh, fully and faithfully in harmony with His divine plan. Lord, thank You that we do have such a glorious God. We don't just have an idea of salvation. We do actually know God Himself. And God Himself resides in us. Lord, I pray that You would help us to be encouraged massively by this as we face this lonely journey into 2024 as we step over the edge into a new year. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, individual upon individual, to remember that the great glorious Spirit of God resides inside of each one of us as believers in the Lord Jesus. Pray, Lord, that you would lift our spirits, give us joy and hope, be the paracletos, carry our burdens with us, give us power to love each other, give us power to honor God even in the secret times, secret places. And we pray, Lord, that the result of this year, 2024, would be absolutely wonderful. That we would look back on this year and we we'll say, Lord, thank you for honoring yourself in my life this year. We just pray that you would help us in this, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' lovely name. Amen.